What a week we've had. As we reach the downhill slope of the footy frenzy, we could almost say we've seen it all. From sna snags to hangers, to the most daring of finishes. If there's one thing 2020 can promise, it's drama both on and off the field. So welcome as we deliver this week's post-game spray. Welcome, boys. Hey, young man. Hey, young man. Typical. We'll get straight into the game previews. It feels like ages since we've done this, but we'll start off with tonight's game, Sydney and GWS. Wiz, what do you think uh, GWS will serve up for us? Uh, hopefully they're a little bit better than their first three quarters against the Dons because they were pretty ordinary and were lucky to get over the line there. But if they play to 80% of their potential, they should have no issues with the Swannies tonight, I don't think. Anyone else? I, I've, got a, I've got a question for the, uh, for the group. What player that they've got rid of do you think they're missing most at the, at the moment? What, what player playing in another club do you reckon they'd like to add back? Because I think a case can be made for Jack Steele being that inside, can play defensive, upgrade on DeBoer, almost being the perfect addition. Adam Trelaw, Taylor Adams, Will Hoskin Elliott, just starving for those blokes, I reckon. No, I'm, I'm with you, Fez. I think uh, Steele is exactly, for all the things you mentioned, DeBoer's just a straight tagger who stops his opponent. Steele stops his opponent and gets 20 and is becoming a reasonable user of the ball. Pretty good overhead. Yeah, I think he'd be one of them, but there's they're, you can name a 22 that they've let go over the yeah. journey. So Possibly, like, I know Lobb hasn't put it together, but I think he's a bit of an upgrade on Himmelberg and Finlayson, so he's probably another one that could be in the mix. Yeah, and also, Steele's the obvious one. Lobb, uh, I'm not, I reckon Himmelberg and Finlayson can do the same sort of... Well, they offer a little bit more than Lobb, I reckon, in terms of their ability on the ground, especially Finlayson. But I reckon... Lob would be their best ruckman though as well. Yeah, that's what probably ruck ruck wise, but yeah, steel's still the obvious one for me, like you said. Let's go on sorry, where's you go? Oh, I was just gonna say, surely they give Source a bit of a run in it here. I just Mumford's done, I reckon. I they're sort of playing for two and I understand with the short turnarounds it's handy to have two two ruckmen, but I just think from here on in I think they've got to stick with one of them. And I reckon Did, did you hear? Did you hear the media um, source was saying that he couldn't train properly while he was in um, that while the season was in hiatus? So he came back real unfit. So they've been putting a lot of work into him. So it wouldn't surprise me if they still think that he is the go, but he's sort of doing almost a preseason at the moment. Fair enough. Mm. We'll go on to the other side of the field, Swans. What do we think they'll dish up? Are they a chance in this game, or is it just going to be another honest effort from Sydney? What do you reckon, Flood? Uh, just like I said, another they'll give another honest effort, but they're just not up to it at the moment, especially with uh, the amount of talent GWS has on the field. They'll have a crack, but that's about it. I don't know if we've spoken since Collingwood-Sydney, but fuck if that wasn't the worst game ever put on an AFL field. Ah, uh, yeah. Melbourne, Melbourne North wasn't great. Oh, Melbourne North. Ooh, that, was, <laughs> that, was, that was in my... I will go early. Things... Where I'm looking forward to this week, not watching Melbourne play North again. <laughs> uh, what game are you umpiring this week, Dirk, by the way, before we get into all of that? Uh, Geelong Port, mate. Oh, as ooh, ooh, ooh. Listen, listen, listen to the wobble in his voice. Swagger. Swagger. It's obvious he's got the biggest game of the week. Wow. 
If only our <laughs> listeners could have seen his little <laughs> strut and wobble and just look away from the camera. Oh, just stock standard boys, just top of the table. Uh, well, while we're talking about that, we'll just go on to Geelong. Looking real professional at the moment. Uh, last week, getting the win over St Kilda, or however long ago it was. Uh, what do you reckon about them, Fez? Are they looking premiership contention? Yes, absolutely, mate. Looking million bucks. But as I said while I was watching the game, why can't they do this every week? Still, their worst is still going to get them done in finals. But this game should be a belter. Um, Gary Rowan's had his good game, so he won't have a kick for the next six weeks. Uh, <laughs> Mark! 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 Rowan! So don't put Gary in your multis, uh, ladies and gentlemen listening. Um, they just look balanced, the Cats. Everyone um, is playing well. They've been rotating. You know, when you're making five changes and still playing all within the structure, you know, your, your depth's good. Really looking forward to... Hang on. Chris Scott. Play fucking Mark Blitzabs, your best defender on the best forward in the comp, mate. Don't have him tagging Carl Amon on the fucking wing. Don't have him on Carl Amon. <laughs> have him on Charlie Dixon, the best forward of the comp, because pensioner Harry will get 10 kicked on him. <laughs> Even though he's playing pretty well, Harry. Um, Harry's think- uh, changed his hair again as well, by the way. If you noticed that. Just I the one week. Yeah. one I- wake up. I think Hawkins could possibly feast because uh, Geelong's obviously got three, maybe even four, if you include Colin Ashney, um, options they can roll through Dixon if someone's not working. But Cleary, McKenzie and Jonas are all a fair bit smaller than Hawkins. So could kick a fat bag if conditions present. So would like some good weather. I think that'll that'll help the game. How is um, the forecast, David? Looking okay? Yeah, I think it's uh, just 25 degrees up here tomorrow. So... Humidity's a big one, though. Just a balmy very, 25, as Alice very would say. Very stewy due to... Yeah, that's tough. Um, just on the Cats, Paddy, I just think they were clinical against the Saints, but the Saints let Geelong play their game style, and Geelong were able to do that in the first half against West Coast. But once the pressure lifts and the opposition brings the heat, the chip game style hasn't stood up in big games, in big finals against really good sides. And it's going to be on that bottom six of Geelong if they can execute their skills because chipping around the wings and the half-back line is fine if you hit your targets. But if you turn it over like Radigalia did against West Coast or, you know, Buse, O'Connor, a couple of these blokes, when the heat gets really on, if they miss those targets. So Geelong's game style is good. They've got an experienced side who can execute it in home and away, but it's whether it's going to be stand-up in finals in a big final. Is whether That's a question mark. Yeah, one of our, sorry, Paddy, I was going to say, one of our mates, uh, Noel Rocco, is sort of uh, insinuating that the, uh, the Cats on their way to another prelim final weekend uh, loss, probably. Disaster. Just, just a standard. Um, bank. But just touching on St Kilda, Paddy, um, Fez, I know you talked about it last week about would St Kilda's attacking game style measure up in finals? I mean, it was a sort of a finals-like contest. You had two sides you know, within the brink of the top four. And um, we saw Geelong really put them to the sword defensively. And, you know, St. Kilda really got brought back down to earth um, you know, pretty quickly. Saints game isn't for about five more, Dave. Just have a little run sheet done. We're doing Do you know what, Dave, though? That's, that's a really <laughs> good point. I'll just slip that into the, my uh, get-around-me notes here. Uh, great call on St. Kilda. Oh, Attack. Good. Game style uh, not standing up. In uh, let's go. Uh, just on one last point about Geelong for myself. I saw an interesting stat during the week, and I don't think he's getting 
the praise for it. With Tommy Hawkins, I think he's kicked the most goals in the league, but also has the most goal assists. I think for a big full forward, that's outstanding. I don't think we see enough of it in the game where they can both contribute by themselves kicking goals and then dishing off the teammates. So I just think that's really good. Just on one more thing on Hawkins. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You go, mate. Whoa. <laughs> Me time. Um, I think Hawkins being in quarantine and away from the pie shop down down Geelong that he loves has been elite for him. He looks fit. He's obviously, he's obviously going to the gym consistently. He's got the nutritionist picking out his food and he is looking as good as he's ever looked. Can't smash darts either in the hotel. Can't, <laughs> can't be punching darts out the back. So okay. I think it's all good Paddy, for last thing on Geelong, the, thing, the other thing that's helping Hawkins is they've finally learned how to kick it to him and they're setting up and he's just holding one man out to the side and they're kicking it to his favourite side. He doesn't need to be hit, laced out. He just needs to be kicked to his advantage and he's unstoppable when that happens. And they're finally doing it. It's only taken him 14 years. Okay, let's uh, go on to the other side of the game after the 15-minute chat about Geelong. Uh, Port Adelaide looked great knocking off Richmond. Uh, just new favourite player in the comp. King Charles, Charlie Dixon, he's the man. He's so good. He's bringing back the traditional full forward, busting packs, taking marks. Unfortunately, has the Travis Cloak set shot at the moment which isn't ideal, but I think something with Port, and it showed when Richmond got on top, their defence has a couple of holes in it. I know, unfortunately, our guest Trent McKenzie uh, from a couple of weeks ago probably played his worst game for the year, but I think when Port are playing well, they have 22 attackers and they don't necessarily think about their defence, which I think may be a problem come September or whenever the finals is. Good call. Mm. Frank I'm not did saying, call on pretenders. Yeah, well, Frank did call on pretenders. Yeah, no, I, I did call on <laughs> pretenders, but no, um, it's probably making me look bad at the moment. But it'll be, I think, what will be interesting. I reckon Port really steeled themselves for that Richmond game. Obviously, playing um, the reigning premiers, and they have had people like myself calling pretenders and questioning whether they're up to it. So I reckon they really steeled themselves for that game. So it'll be interesting to see if they can back it up against um, a Geelong side who normally does get right up and about for these clashes and if they can back this up then they deserve to be premiership favourites just about. I think uh, Port having a couple of days extra break than Geelong is going to help as well. I know it was a, a cracking game and Geelong had it a little bit easier in the end but I think that'll help. The um, Port bashed up Richmond in the contested ball inside Boak, uh, Wines etc. I think Geelong will put up a little bit of a better fight in there but um, It'll be interesting to see how it all goes. It'll be a great game of footy. Probably the winner of this goes into premiership favouritism at the moment. So no, West Coast. Nah. Uh, no, according to Patrick Farley. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those calls has got to be right because one of them won't win the flag. Uh, we'll go on to the next game, North and Brisbane. We'll touch on North first. There was a bit in the media during the week about their succession plan over the next couple of years and how they've appointed Shaw and they've unfortunately... Gone and uh, gone after Goldstein Harden, gone after Higgins Harden, signed them long term. And then they've probably realised now that their list isn't probably where they thought it was. So I just think it's a long way back for North and it might take a couple of years to get back into the top eight. Ferry. I've been defending North, but fuck am I off them. <laughs> I am putrid, absolutely putrid. Putrid game plan, putrid players, putrid coach. Putrid start to finish. So, yeah, no, that's all I've got for. Anyone else? Oh, next? Up, I think. All right, yeah, well, pretty fair well assessment. Well well they've okay. only got they've only got one bloke who I think has shown a little bit, and that's Larky. 
apart from that, Stubana. there's not much going on down there. I rate Taron Thomas. I rate Taron Thomas. Yeah, he's, he's had, still has, still up there with as your favourite player. No, yeah, I love the way he absolutely crunched a bloke last week. Who coat hanging his style? I, 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 apart from him not kicking a goal and costing us some points, bed gumbag. <laughs> but uh, I still like the way he goes about it. But no, he hasn't improved this year much. Uh, Taron Thomas showed heaps last year. He hasn't really had a crack at it. But I think Larky's the only shining light at the moment. Going to the other 22 blokes on the field, one specifically, do we think Brisbane will have their first Brownlow medalist in about two decades with Lockie Neal, probably being the best player in the comp at the moment? I was say, Blackie and McManus uh, both collected Charlie Paddy. Good, good yes. recovery, though. Uh, around t- two decades, like... Seven, eight years, mate. Black, two, oh, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, didn't, didn't realise that wasn't near 20. Fuck. Back check. <laughs> Yes, Neil's going to win it, mate. Neil's going to win it? Unless he falls over this week. And have we had any confirmation on whether Cameron will play this week after his knee situation? He shouldn't. They're playing North if they play him, they're idiots. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure. He's fine, but they, um, as we said, just rest him. Could be 100 points this game. Yeah, cool. is that absolute belting? Ugly. Is that your call, Fez? The your big call, hundred points. I'm not going with that. I, I always, you know, this North will come out with a fucking shin bone of spirit this week and <laughs> have a real, a real dip and fucking give them a run for two quarters. So, I don't know. <laughs> but it could be a hundred point spanking. Yes. Uh, we'll go on to the next game. Pies take on Melbourne. I gave Melbourne a bit of a clip last week, and I like how they've responded. I reckon this would be a good game. Melbourne probably going in favourites. Collingwood obviously being underdone. Uh, and I just think now with Collingwood, people are like their depth is an issue and all that kind of jargon. But I think depth would be an mo- issue of most clubs if you have 10 of your best 22 out. So I don't think their depth can be questioned because normally you have those four to six players that are classified as your depth when they come up to, through your top side. So that's just my thoughts on the pies. Anyone else? Yeah, this won't be a good game, Paddy. No, it won't. This I'm, will be shit. I'm with you. Oh, I'd rather punch myself in the pills than watch this. <laughs> Collingwood are playing fucking terribly, terribly. And Melbourne, they did not beat North Melbourne. North Melbourne just were that fucking bad that an under-18 side could have rolled over the top of them. Melbourne are going horrendous as well. So this game could be one of the all-time stinkers. Mel- <laughs> Melbourne are a game outside the top eight. They're charging home, Fizz. They've had, they've had a good <laughs> a run. Disgrace. They've had a good run the last few weeks, Melbourne. Um, I think one... Positive for Melbourne is the emergence of Wiedemann. I think he's looking good. Uh, Tom McDonald is just, he's stinking it up and making Wiedemann look even better. Jackson's showing some signs as well, obviously for truckers. I think Melbourne should win, but Collingwood did rest more and Reid and a couple others. I don't know how bad Elliot's injury was, but if they get a couple back, they could challenge. But um, they... Their first half against Adelaide was real ordinary. And, yeah, they had a lot of players out, but their good players weren't standing up. Like Grundy, I think he had three touches in the first half. They they need to be better, and I think they're now out of premiership contention, the pods. There's a lot of speculation about Grundy. Uh, there was talks on Twitter and other platforms of social media that he might uh, miss last week or the game against Adelaide. I just think he's absolutely rooted at the moment. Just You saw him when he went forward and probably got to around the third quarter when he started to play a bit better, that he was just absolutely cooked and out of uh, out of energy. So I reckon um, maybe a break or a seven-day break might help him a lot. Yeah, I think I heard Taylor Adams speak, um, I think it was after the game, and he basically said for the first half, like talking about himself personally, coming off a 
I think they had a short break. His legs felt really, really heavy and it was tough to get going for that first half. And he didn't feel like he was starting to cover the ground until that third, fourth quarter. And I think you saw that and it was probably reflected across the team with blokes like Grundy that it was just taking them a while to get into the game um, with a few of them struggling off the off the short turnarounds. Um, and the other thing with Colin, you spoke about their depth, Paddy. I think they've played 39 blokes on their list this year. That leaves, well, I think, what's the list size? 44? Oh, well, yeah. Or around that. So there's only five or six blokes on the entire list that haven't played. So, um, yeah, they've definitely got a few excuses in regards to the uh, injury department and where they're sitting, I think. We'll go on to the next game, Freo versus Frank's Blues. Uh, kick us off, Frank, with what you think of Carlton and, and what they will bring, bring to us this week. Um, I thought we were reasonably good last week um, for all bar 10 minutes against West Coast. Um, and West Coast, just a good side and beat us in the end. We didn't do a hell of a lot wrong. Um, but I think in saying that, I reckon I'll really like what Freo are doing at the moment. So I reckon they'll get the job done over us. Um, I just reckon they're looking really good and they're getting better every single week, especially their young blokes in the midfield like Brayshaw and Sarong in particular. They're just getting better and better. Sean Darcy's hit some really good form in the ruck and old Marky's just uh, dropped back down to earth for the Blues. We need Cruiser back desperately. He shoot the bed. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, well and truly shoot the bed and I wouldn't be surprised to have when Cruiser's back fit, play Cruiser and De Koning because I like what he brought last week in Marky. Just have a little bit of a rest um, and just get yourself rejuvenated, mate. I like how uh, Cripper on the weekend just... Pro- I think it's just solidified that he's probably going over to the West uh, a couple, a couple uh, times he went the ball, dropping a mark on the tip of the goal square, giving away a 50-metre penalty. So I think it's basically... And not getting 20 touches either. Getting 19. <laughs> I think it's basically <laughs> signed, sealed, delivered his apartment... Uh, in the West of Australia. So it's, better luck, it, Frank. It's exactly what I wanted to bring up. He's looked like he's settled right into WA life. The, <laughs> the West Coast boys were getting right around him. Bump taps, few cheeky cock grabs. Can't, the, the camera's Can't do that these days, mate. Say that, mate. The, camera, the camera's missed it, but he actually walked off with West Coast half of the game, Cripper. Went a season early. So. Sang the song. <laughs> uh, anyone that, else? That would be the one thing he's not looking forward to doing. Oh, that is so carp, their song. Oh, my God. Frankie's gone early with uh, saying Freo will get up here. As he did say, Freo were good. I think the Blues, at least an extra two days here, break, I think will help a little bit. Um, the emergence of Freo's young blokes, Sarong, Chera, uh, Brayshaw, very good. But they've all played a really good game. I, I reckon the Blues are a chance against the Dockers this week. Brayshaw's been really good for... Six weeks now, I reckon. Only the only area I reckon we might be able to get Fremantle is down in our forward line. Um, we've generally got three tolls down there. And they're playing pretty. They're playing pretty small at the moment. I know Luke Ryan's having an awesome year, but I'm not sure he's going to be up to back, yeah. um, playing key back on a bloke like Kaz Bolden. I think Mackay should be back this week. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to playing on the real big blokes that are pretty good contested mark. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Is there any time frame on Kerno at the moment, Frank? Um, season. I think we probably I reckon he probably could have pushed a play this year, but I reckon we've just said write it off and get him back and have a full preseason and everything for next year. Well your chance for the eight, Frank. Thought it was a chance to play finals. When next year? <laughs> that's cut. Derby got what something you, what are you finishing next year do? Uh Frank. Oh that's a long way away, mate. Um uh, we should be pushing for the eight next year. 
That, that should be that should be, that should be the uh, expectation. Yeah, um, yeah, Dev, what do you have for us? Just butt in, Dev. No, I was just going to say that um, Freo is so well defensively structured uh, under Longmire. Sort of, he revitalised Collingwood's you know defence to make it one of the best in the league over the last couple of years. And I think you know, Frank, you said it pretty well that the best way to get Freo would be to attack, you know, use that dominance and. and I show that attacking flair that the Blues have showed over the last uh, two months because Freo they don't score heavily. So if you can get them on the counter and um, you know get them um, from you know four fifty turnovers, you're definitely a chance to to roll over them pretty easily. Just uh, one more interesting stat on the Blues: we are the only team this year to score over fifty points in every game. So we're an attacking force. So look out. Yeah, right. Good, Frank. Uh, we'll go on to the next game. Talking about shit games. Uh, if the dogs don't show up, this might be one. They take on Adelaide, touch on Adelaide first. Two games in a row they've come out. They've played a right first half halves against Melbourne and Collingwood, but have gone almost uh, goalless in the second halves. I generally reckon the punters that got on Adelaide at 12 bucks not to win a game will be filling their boots and jumping for joy because I don't reckon the Crows can win a game for the rest of the year, to be honest. No, they're, they're absolutely cooked. My big, call is, my big call this week is Adelaide getting the job done, mate. Oh. Get it done. Ooh, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, everyone's loving Adelaide the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm go dogs by 45. Dogs by 45. <laughs> back, in, back in the crazy now. I'll tell you what I love about Adelaide. Rory Laird in the guts. He's been really good the last uh, few weeks since making that move. Brody Smith transitioning to halfback as well was good for them, I reckon. Just allowed ball use across... In the back half, this like that. Did you see his supposed ball use? Oh, he yeah. Transitioning to halfback, Paddy. He's been a halfback flanker since he entered the league. <laughs> yeah, but he played midfield the last four weeks for Adelaide. Probably why the butcher on the uh, weekend. Also, Himmel, Himmelberg for Adelaide looked good. I don't know why they put him back late, like late in the game when they needed to kick goals. He looked like their most dangerous forward, and Nick's he, got no fucking idea. Yeah, he. Uh, I Derv called it in round, I think, four. Sack him. He's not far off, Derv. It was the first episode. Well, the wagon, Derv. Get around me, Derv. Get rid of me. That might be a nice little flashback in a year to come. I'm pretty sure Fez went on his um, back, back nicks up and said that the teams have to learn how to play defense first, so it'll take a bit of time. If I remember correctly, Fez went, went into play. Ba- yeah, Fez no, went into bat was- for him. I was clearly far too sensible at that stage. I'm now all about the hot takes. Give me the ass, ship him off, get someone else in. Uh, we'll talk about the dogs. Uh, why do we think they're so inconsistent? What, like, what's the reason to it? Because their coach is no good. They're so they're so dependent. They're so dependent on the pressure the opposition bring because they handball so much. If the opposition bring good pressure, they turn the ball over and get done the other way. And if the opposition bring subpar pressure, their handball game looks at me and bucks and they can fucking look really good. So I think it's more what the opposition bring than what the dogs bring every week. Sorry, Paddy, just before we move on from this game and just touching on Nick and also we mentioned Reshaw before. Very interesting take on Footy Classified last night with Ross the Boss and a quote from Lee Matthews saying, if Lee Matthews sat on another interview panel for a coaching position, he wouldn't recommend anyone with less than 10 years experience. And as an assistant or in the system or in a footy department. So people like Fagan, et cetera, I think will start to get the nod, especially with Ratton coming good. Blokes like Nix and Shaw now battling at the bottom. I think 
think it's going to be a good thing for some recycled experience coaches going forward. Sorry, Let's get Bailey Smith back in the guts this week as well, Bevo, you dog. On the dogs as well, they like they twenty four points flat in American, but McRae had forty in a goal and Bont had thirty in a goal, and they still lost comfortably. That's their biggest issue. They don't have enough blokes backing their absolute stars up because they're just not good enough. I reckon the the, the forward line is just such a issue for the dogs. Like they rely on midfield scoring and you know McRae and you know they Bont always don't impact the scoreboard each week from the midfield. So when you got old mate Josh Bruce who's firing absolute blanks at the moment. <laughs> You know, Mitch Wiles has been really handy for the dogs. You know, Sam Lloyd's come back on the side and hasn't really offered much. So, if, if you're Mitch Wiles is your most dangerous forward, you're in trouble, though. I don't know what Mitchy yeah, Wiles is quite happy with three stages. I, I reckon Mitchy Wiles is playing real good footy. I, I don't think he should be a best forward, though. Yeah, exactly. He's playing good footy, but he's not. he can't be your best forward. I tell you, he's no good and needs to really never play AFL football again. He's old Ryan Gardner down back. He made <laughs> Eric Hipwood look like Gary Ablett Senior on the uh, <laughs> on the weekend. As a as a mate told me during the game, the only good thing, only thing he's good for is pouring pints at the railway. So um, <laughs> I can go wrong. <laughs> oh God. We'll go on to the next game: St Kilda versus Essendon. I think we saw with St Kilda. Against the Cats, they're probably a fifth to eighth position on the ladder uh, and probably not contending for the flag because when they have come up against good sides, they haven't done the job, but they're still looking good. I just think they're not as good as everyone probably thought they were, or at least me, I thought they would be better than they were. Yeah, this is the uh, the Pretender Cup, Paddy. Crowned it. So, I don't think either of these teams are where they need to be. And uh, it's about time we added the actual Pretenders because what I like, Clearly not pretending. West Coast, not pretending. Richmond, not pretending. Secure fully pretending. <laughs> uh, hopefully Dan Butler can um, sort of clear himself up after the genuine fisting he caught by O'Connor last week. Hope, uh, O'Connor followed him into the showers on the I, I was going to say, I hope, I hope O'Connor's had a shower since, uh, since that because I reckon he's a bit dirty. Um, but, Ooh, okay. yes, Whoops. Dan Butler. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan Butler. Whoa. Brought back down to earth, Butler. Real quick. And tell you what, did the Richmond supporters jump on Twitter and say, oh, we told you he's no good. He's kicked more goals than your four small forwards combined this year, so just pipe down uh, Tyke's faithful. It's not all that goals, Jason Castagna, underrated. Still get around him. Four touches on the weekend, Jason (laughs) Castagna. No goals. Uh, We'll go on to Essendon. Uh, Last night's game, I think, showed... I think it's gone out of the radar how resilient that win was. Being... I think the result I think the result shows how resilient they were. Uh, being that far down and then coming back and then Gold Coast having another shot at them. I just think that's uh, pretty good from a side that is down and out. Also, I think what they're doing by John Worsfold and kind of not letting him take the reins at the moment isn't great. McClure talked about it on Fox Footy, I think, last night or the night before. I just think for someone of his calibre of coaching, it's not the right thing to, to do by him. Interesting. I, I, well, it's, he's going to be the one yeah. moving forward, and Bush is comfortable with it. Why not? Mm. I think it's not like they're contending. But it doesn't look like they're getting better either. That's what I think the problem is. Like, I, I reckon if you have a coach that has this much experience and he's obviously been were, somewhat successful. You were saying that Collingwood had 10 of their best 22 out 
And I think the Dons would have been pretty close to that when you include Draper and Hurley who got rested uh, and all their forwards that are out. I just think with someone with Wush's, with Wush's experience and uh, expertise, I think you use him to his best of ability and not let well, someone... But he's had, that, he's had that team for... How long has he been coached at Essen? Five years? Five years. Five yeah, years. So, man. And he's still been no good for him. Yeah. He's lucky he's lasted this long, I reckon. Yeah. They're, they look oh. shit. Bring back James. Oh, he brought him out of the dumps, the bloody drug cheats. Uh, go on to the, the next game. Uh, West Coast versus Hawthorne. Uh, let's just touch on the West Coast midfield to start off with. Four superstars. Uh, Kelly showed it a couple of weeks ago. Shade dominated on the weekend. And then Shuey as well. Having those and Nick Nat uh, in that cohort. It just, I think it shows that... Sorry? Yo. Yo. Yes, yo as well. Uh, very good. I think that shows... Well, uh, they will hold up uh, come September time, and my call of them being pretenders is completely wrong, as usual. Yeah, now that they that will, <laughs> they will absolutely dismantle Hawthorne over there. But I'm calling sixty plus. Sixty yeah. plus. Hitting oh. the hitting form at right time of the year, the Eagles. Uh, interesting to see they move back over to Queensland, I think, for the last five rounds. So they obviously won't rectify their early season form, but, geez, the way they're playing at the moment, they look, uh, they look extremely dangerous. Is that a scoop, Durf? Is that a scoop? Do we, do, we, do we know that they were moving for the last yeah, five rounds? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Exclusive post-game spray. I'm I think so. You're a newsbreaker, man. It's all over the hub situation. <laughs> the hub man <laughs> is the hub man. Uh, going to the brown and gold uh, came out this morning or last night, I'm unsure. An article saying Hawthorne. More, more brown than gold this week. More mm-hmm. brown than gold this week. Uh, they ble- they're going to bleed the kids. Or, uh, bleed them. Sure. They're going to bleed them. <laughs> Not got nothing to bleed. They've got, <laughs> got enough in there, mate. Yeah. And I, I can't remember who wrote the article, but they said they're almost time for a rebuild. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm looking forward to believe them. rebuilt four years ago, mate. I just... Uh, they took a lot of risks on blokes with injuries. And I know it worked with Ber- Burgoyne when they, everyone said he was done and he's come out and played for another 73 years. But uh, Scully, Patton and O'Meara have just not got back to the same level that we're at. They were stiff with Mitchell breaking his leg. But they knew the risks with O'Meara, Scully and Patton. And I just don't know if it's worked. I know they didn't give up a heap for Scully, but still pick 31 could be a good player and he's just given them nothing. And they've got a lot of the same sort of midfielder in uh, Warple, Mitchell and O'Meara. And it's just going to be interesting to see the damaging mids of West Coast compared to the plotters of Hawthorne this week. I just think they've got the mix wrong a little bit in there. Fair enough. Uh, Wouldn't Wouldn't mind seeing Wingard play a full game in the guts if he's got the tank just to give him something a little bit different outside of those three. Go on to the last game of the round. Tides take on the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, expect Richmond to bounce back after Port. Didn't necessarily play horribly, but obviously didn't get the job done. And one thing I've taken out, not necessarily from Richmond, but the team defence kind of thing. I feel like, and Port, the way they played against Port on the weekend doesn't really reflect this, but it's just an external point is that I think team defences, when they're versing a rebounding side and there's quick ball movement, it kind of gets undone a bit from the zoning-type defence to you go to whoever's closest to your man. Because when there's seven or eight opposition forwards running and streaming, I think it's hard for 
a defender to allocate himself to a man or allocate himself to a space and it ends up in sides kicking quite cheap goals over the top. And I just think that obviously hasn't been found out in September, September's of past, obviously with Richmond being good. But I just think now the game style changing with a lot of sides trying to play rebound footy, I think it may be a difference we look at in the future. Anyone? Yeah, I, it, it, I think the difference between a lot of the good teams and the bad teams is how they hold their structure defensively um, while the ball's in their own forward 50. So here we're saying the Tigers are better than anyone bounce back the other way. But I think you see few more, more and more teams playing um, quarterbacks and stuff like that deep out the back so they don't get done um, rebounding. But oh, it's just all the sort of chess game that is coaching um, all part of the part of the puzzle. So I'll tell, well. tell you what is an underrated uh, position on the ground. You talked about the quarterback. The person standing on the goal line or in the goal square when there's a stoppage 20 metres out. Because the amount of times you see a goal, it bounces in the goal square and then rolls through. It does my head in. I don't understand how a winger or a backman just doesn't get to the goal square to stop that. It infuriates me, especially when you're yeah. playing local footy. It happens all the, the time. Other, the other one with that, Paddy, is when there's someone having a snap from 30 out on the boundary, the amount of times it goes through at head height, because you don't normally get heaps of elevation off that, and the amount of times it could be touched and blokes are just standing around. Ruckman, anyone over six foot five, normally shortage of oxygen, not that smart up there. <laughs> So um, I'm not looking at you, Ruckman. Coaches are that obsessed with not having free players around forward stoppages that sometimes that that's where you you get missing that bloke standing in the goal square playing the goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, I think they'd rather take the risk of having no one on the goal line than having a spare in the forward stoppage. Fair enough. We'll go on to Gold Coast. I think we've seen over the last couple of games. Uh, they're just a little bit off. They don't have that experience. They seem to get young and like a lot of young sides do. Carlton did a couple of weeks ago against Hawthorne. They get comfortable and they kind of go back into their old uh, habits and just do little things like that. And it showed last night how Essendon came back when the game looked all but done. I just think they're a little bit off. I think Fez called it earlier in the year how he said with uh, Matt Bread rollout, they probably can't get it done because they don't have the ticker. Oh, <laughs> they don't have the ticker around the footy, and I think he's pretty bang on there. They, they, oh, lack, they, they lack the absolute gun midfielder at this stage, which I think Roll will become, but um, or Rail. Just um, not Bread Roll. How <laughs> <laughs> come Jordan Clark dislocates his shoulder and he's back playing within three weeks? Oh, three weeks on the dot, he's back playing, and Roll's wrapped up in cotton wood. Like, what's the difference there? Cotton wood. Uh, I think cotton he's just... Cotton wood, sorry. We're, we're bleeding the kids. We're in cotton wood. We're doing it all this week. Uh, there's, there's, that was a safe option to get the surgery. I don't think they were ever going to risk it. But I also think Hunter Clark's career is not as... Uh, doesn't have as much potential. If you, get bread, if you get bread roll back playing last night, they win last night. And then they're sniffing around eight. Yeah, There's about, getting... tw- about 20 games off with Rankin and King before they start dismantling do you... back sixes, I reckon. Yeah, but Fez, do you rush roll back to get him back to sniff eight spot or do you save him for the next 10 years when you're going to be looking for a flag and potentially have him const- having constant shoulder injuries? Well, do you reckon, do you reckon that's going to happen with Jordan Clark? Do you reckon Jordan have rushed Clark back? Well, I got it. His surgeries, with, especially with Jordan um, and Clark? Stuff, it's not always... Jordan Clark, Matt Roll. 
slight difference in ability. The and people potential. that are obviously but already you're, you're also, sorry. Clark's going to be fucking A grade, mate. You also you also don't know how much damage was done to each of their shoulders. surrounding structures, but I reckon they might have just been a bit quick. There's, I don't think there would have been any harm in having him try and get it right for a month and then do the surgery. Just like. I think that would have been fine too. See if he can get strong, see if it's... Yeah, Zach Butters in his 18th year knew that his shoulder was cooked and said he was going to play till national championships just to get himself as far at the draft order as possible and then have surgery. So he, he can play with it. So but he didn't do it, so they didn't do it. Yeah, I guess this week is huge, both literally and figuratively, totaling 328 games at Footscray and the Swans while collecting the most prestigious individual award in our game, the Brownlow Medal. But after the time of the top, he didn't stop, arguably having the most decorated VFA career on and off the field at the Williamstown Football Club. Our guest this week, Barry Round. Welcome, Barry. Yeah, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, as, I say, as Paddy said, thanks for um, joining us, Barry. Um, just want to start, obviously, you had a decorated career, but um, I'm not sure a lot of people know that you started your career at Footscray. Um, just want to talk us about getting to Footscray to start us off, and um, it looks like you also played a little bit in the forward line um, before you transitioned into the ruck later in your career. Yeah, well, I was, uh, came from country Victoria up in Warrigal, I'm in the Trow Valley, and uh, played, uh, well, played junior footy under 16 with a team called Nilma Darnham now, and uh, we used to play in an old cow paddock that was given to us by a farmer, and... Um, the, the cows would be running on the ground during the week and uh, Saturday we'd uh, kick, they'd kick the cattle off and we'd play and uh, there's a few fresh cow pats around so you have to be careful not to fall over too much but uh, from there I went to Oregon and that was a senior team around the, the area and, um, and uh, the drafting came in uh, sorry, um, zoning came in and the Lachau Valley was uh, zoned to the Bulldogs which was great and uh, so I didn't really have any choice. I barracked rest and I was a kid and I'd actually spoken to Richmond, Graham Richmond, the former power broker there, and one of his committee men came up and had a chat to me when I was about 16 and playing for Warrigal. And uh, anyway, but uh, zoning came in, so I didn't have a choice. So uh, we went down and trained with Footscray from the start of the, the 1969 season and um, met Teddy Whitten and uh, all these champions there. And I thought, Crikey, what am I doing here? But uh, anyway, we... Went in, had a training run, and got through the pre-season and was lucky enough to get picked for the first game in, uh, in 1969. And uh, was said he went 300th game, so it was a pretty uh, special day to start your career. <clears throat> and um, actually, Gary Dempsey had just been uh, injured in the, the severe bushfires, and uh, so he wasn't playing. And uh, Johnny Schultz had just retired, so they needed a... Uh, a ruckman or a couple of ruckmen so it was a young fellow named Peter Hines and myself played our first games that day and uh, shared the ruck work and then about halfway through the year uh, Gary Dempsey came back and I was sort of uh, the second ruckman playing out of the forward pocket so uh, when Dempsey needed the rest I'd go on the ball and he'd go down the forward line so uh, anyway because uh, he's, he's great form and that he was killing him uh, I spent more time a lot more time in the forward line than I did in the ruck but uh, that's uh, that's the way I've sort of worked out with, with the Bulldogs and then after seven years I'd uh, played 135 games for the doggies and Billy Gordon came in to, to coach and uh, wanted a bit of a clean out and uh, myself and a, a couple of others got uh, got 
Uh, fact, I suppose. <laughs> so I wasn't too happy about that. Now, I suppose they won't look back on that too fondly. Um, just spoke about playing in the ruck, and obviously Gary Dempsey was a superstar ruckman in the 70s. Um, but it's funny how the game's evolved. You were obviously um, a big ruckman back in, in the 70s, but now um, being 193 centimetres, you've got midfielders like um, Bonton Pally and Cripps who are 195. How do you think you'd transition into today's game style? Certainly changed. I um, I live on the Gold Coast now, and uh, I, I live in a, a, a suburb called Miami. And uh, Jared Witts, who's captain of the Gold Coast Suns, lives nearby, and I often bump into him in the supermarket. Now, I'm not six foot four, or used to be, probably shrunk a little bit, but and he's six foot eleven. I look up to him, and I'm thinking, "Crikey, how would I go against these blokes today?" They're, uh, you know, they're nearly, well, heading towards seven foot tall. And uh, in my era, most of the ruckmen were six foot four and um, had a, probably a couple of exceptions in uh, big Justin Madden, Simon Madden's brother. He was he was about six foot nine or something. And, uh, and Len Thompson was about six foot seven. But uh, most of the, as I say, most of the ruckmen were about six foot four. But, um, yeah, and uh, Josh Kennedy from the Swans, you know, obviously I'm a Swans man. And... Uh, have a talk to him and he's I'm looking eye to eye with him and he's a midfielder as well so it's certainly uh, certainly changed I think you know just with each uh, generation they seem to be getting bigger and bigger I uh, touched on your uh, Swans career there a little bit uh, we'll go a bit further into that what was it like kind of seeing the end and being at the end of South Melbourne and then the excitement and transition into the Sydney Swans well it, it was exciting but it was also a very uh, very sad time because um you know, South Melbourne didn't have a lot of supporters and even less members, but um, they loved their club and, uh, and and the players actually. You know, we loved playing at South Melbourne, and uh, when the, the club was no longer financially viable, we only we were faced with uh, three options: so either wind up the club and uh, declare it insolvent, <coughs> and uh, the else amalgamate uh, with St Kilda and play out of Moorabbin, <coughs> or else go to Sydney and and retain the, the red and white and um, start up a new era. So it was, it was exciting. It was still very disappointing for the for the players and all the club supporters. Yeah, tragic. Uh, we talked about the Brownlow. Oh, I talked about the Brownlow a little bit. What's it like on Brownlow night and winning it? And obviously you drew with uh, Bernie Quinlan and all that. So what's it like being the rated the best player in the comp by umpires and then uh, the pride that kind of goes with that? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's certainly an honour, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a great night. And as a former winner, you get invited back every year. So, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a thrill then. It's still a thrill to this day. And uh, I remember in, uh, in 1979, I'd had a pretty good year. And uh, in those days, there was what was called the Brownlow leak. You know, someone was, they reckon someone was leaking the results before the night of the Brownlow count and uh, in 1977 the word was that Graham Teasdale had won it and which he ended up doing and then 1978 uh, Malcolm Blight was uh, was you know tipped as gonna, going to win it which he did and uh, so 79 came along and they said oh the word is you've won the Brownlow so I, uh, I thought well I better keep myself tidy and um, write down a bit of a speech if I have to get up and talk and uh, anyway Peter Moore won it I came about third or fourth I think and um, so I sort of oh, I've wasted a, a night here so 1981 came along and um, 
again, I was one of the leading contenders, and I said, well, I'm not wasting another night, so I should have hopped into it a bit, and, um, yeah, I don't know who I thanked or what I said, <laughs> but uh, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty big night, and, uh, yeah, it's just something that you, you know, Ian Stewart was the coach at the time, and he, he said, look, you won't really appreciate it until you retire, and, and that's, that's been the case. It's, um, you know, you're still known as a Brownlow medalist for the rest of your life, so it's a, a bit of an honour, really, a lot big honour. And that leads me in nicely, mate, just to the next part of that question. It's pretty widely known that um, even though you're on the Gold Coast now, you do get down for Brownlow night and the big build-up for grand final week, and you do enjoy Brownlow night. As you said, it must be a, a big honour coming back and being always known as a Brownlow medalist and enjoying the festivities and catching up with everyone. Yes, it's great. it is great. And, um, you know, you're sitting on tables with, uh, with former winners and that, and uh, it's just a genuine respect for each other in the room I guess and um, you know, the AFL uh, very kindly fly us down and put us up for the, the night at the Crown Casino so we usually stay on for the, the rest of the week and um, I think uh, I think I have a luncheon every day of the week so it becomes a little bit hectic. The Brownlow is always a well in the last uh, couple of years we have seen footy clubs been involved in the finals and uh, last year uh, you'll Remember Richmond. Richmond won the VFL Premiership, and then um, then they won the AFL Premiership all within a week. And uh, so anyway, we went and watched Williamstown lose the grand final, and then we went to the Brownlow on Monday, and then there's a, a luncheon called the Carbine Club lunch on Tuesday, and then there's a Variety Club Wednesday. I think the EJ Witten Thursday, and. Um, the Van Sang lunch Friday and then the grand final Saturday. So she's a pretty full week and um, you've got to train up for it. So, you, you know, you want to make sure you fit when you land. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a bit of a detox when you get home, I think. Um, straight, straight to the Betty Ford Clinic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned um, we used to have a footy club. I know that um, is a place close to your heart. And after over 300 games in, of, uh, of VFL, Football, you um you did go to Williamstown for another five years and coach them. Just want to talk us through um what that was like, and obviously, obviously you must have stayed injury free and managed your body really well to play at that level up until forty years of age. Yeah, look, I was pretty lucky there. Um, I, I finished in Sydney at the end of nineteen eighty five, and uh, you know I still still in good nick on that, but I was just uh, I thought no, I think it's it's time. It's better to. You know, not, not try and go on the next year if you're not going to be playing at a, a certain level. So, and, and I, we, with the family, moved back to, to, to Melbourne, and uh, but I still wanted to play footy. I still felt fit. I was only uh, 35 years old, and then uh, so I uh, spoke to Brunswick, and uh, general, generally in those days, Port Melbourne and South Melbourne had been sort of uh, like sister clubs, and um, it was expected I would go and play for Port Melbourne, but I um, I played with Terry Wheeler at uh, Footscray and he was coaching Williamstown so uh, the president Tony Hannabury gave me a call and went out and talked, spoke with them and uh, yeah I liked, I liked the look of Williamstown and you know it just felt, felt right so uh, signed with them as a 36 year old as part of their youth policy and um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway yeah so yeah I enjoyed, loved, loved my time at Williamstown and you know come from a, a, a seven years at Footscray with very moderate success. We only made the finals once in those seven years, and then with South Melbourne and the Swans again, we'd only uh, only made the finals 
once and uh, both elimination finals and both got knocked out the first first uh, round. So to go to Williamstown and uh, play with a team that was used to winning and they, they came runner-up in 1985 in the, uh, the VFL Grand Final and so uh, I thought, yeah, this is good and yeah, it was terrific fun and um, great bunch of blokes and still most to this day but to uh, to play in a, a premiership uh, at age 36 in the first year really was just uh, sensational. I was... You know, as I say, it's probably the most enjoyable period of my career is the time I did spend at Willie. And uh, I remember we won the, the game against Coburg out at the uh, uh, Fitz, well, uh, Oval in Fitzroy there and St Kilda. And um, they cheered Terry Wheeler off and a few of the old Swan supporters cheered me off and said, what a great way to bow out of footy. And I thought, crikey, I'm, uh, I'm just starting to enjoy this game. So I uh, ended up playing for a... I uh, played in 110 games, I guess, in the, in the finish, and they ended up as uh, captain coach. And when Wills uh, retired and went and well, went and coached Footscray, uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to let an, uh, an outsider come in and spoil what Wills had created at Williamstown. And uh, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it, sort of thing. So I thought I'll I'll take over as coach. And um, yeah, had some success there, winning the flag in 1990, and runner up in. Uh, in 92 and uh so yeah great times at willie uh you speak pretty fondly of willie what is kind of the similarities uh like the history uh between south melbourne and uh the dogs in williamstown is it does the history and kind of culture match to the top level at this at the time because i know in williamstown uh that period that you played in and we dominated there's actually a picture after the locals at the stagton hotel of you holding the premiership cup What's the history like behind that? And is it more rich in culture and how you go about it compared to those uh, top clubs at the time? Yeah, look, it's, it's definitely a culture. And um, you know, the thing that, that about Williamstown, it, you know, coming from the country myself, being a country boy, it was like a country town in the city. And you drive down the streets of William, you know, everyone in town wanted to talk about the local, local team, the, the football and... Um, and our side was made up, as you say, from a lot of local local boys from uh, Spotswood and, and you know surrounding uh, areas. And um, you know we're a team virtually of local blokes, and uh, the whole community get get behind you. And it's uh, it's certainly changed now, especially since they've you know become uh, well. Once they started aligning with AFL clubs, it was uh, literally the the end of that sort of culture. And, uh, but, but even today, this day, now Williamstown, if anyone they sign, uh, at the start of the year, they have an induction night and they um, they go through the, you know, get a former player to come along and talk about the history of Williamstown and what it means to wear the jumper and that. So it's, uh, Williamstown's pretty unique in that respect, I guess. And um, even though there is a lot of chopping and changing and players, uh, you know, agents being... Uh, always looking for a, a better deal for their players and all this sort of stuff but uh, Williamstown stands to have maintained a little bit of that uh, culture of um, playing for the jumper and loving the club. I'm sure that is testament to their success. I know a lot of the former players as you mentioned um, are heavily involved at Chops and, and Wheels so uh, credit to, to them on their uh, the way they're running their club. Um, you did mention that you were captain coach at Williamstown for a while and you also mentioned Wheels. Um, can you just talk us through maybe a couple of the sprays that you've been uh, privy to over your long career in footy, both uh, either if you've given one or received one of any note? <laughs> uh, 
you always get a few surprises, but um, it's changed a lot these days. Now you can't uh, be too critical of the players because you lose them, and the next thing you find out that, that they're all against you and the coach gets sacked. But, uh, plus, um, you know, uh, in the old days, it, you'd get a, a spray quite often, but um, players seem to be a lot more sensitive now. And, and the, the life, lifestyle has changed too, and uh, the, the community expectations, you can't be around abusing people too much, so you've got to be a bit careful. But in the old days, I remember Teddy Whitten used to give a, a pretty fair spray, and there was one day we played at, uh, at the MCG against Richmond, I think, and um, Teddy wasn't very happy with our performance in the first half, and at half-time, he... Uh, he had the blackboard there, and I still remember now he should, uh, at the top of his voice, um, you know, the only physical contact you blokes have had is with your girlfriends, and he's hit the blackboard with his fist and it just shattered, and uh, everyone saw it, wow. And uh, he sort of grimaced a bit, and anyway, before we ran out, I see him getting the bandaged up, and after the game, they found out he'd broken his wrist, but he played the second half with a broken, broken wrist. And, um, that was that was pretty scary for a young kid from the bush, and uh, it wasn't just directly at was me, it was just at the whole team. And then one other day we were playing out at uh, Waverley, Fairfield Park, and uh, he, he organised for one of the local butchers to send uh, twenty sheep's hearts, and just and everyone that little package had the, the players' names on them. And he said you didn't show any heart last week, so he tripped it out. Everyone got a sheep's heart before the game. <laughs> That's it, and uh, thanks for that insight. Not too many people, or of our listeners, would know too much about Teddy Whitten. Obviously, it's a bit of an insight into Mr. Football himself. Um, you've been very generous with your time, Barry, and we do thank you for joining us. Um, you mentioned you're up on the Gold Coast. Is What's happening in life and business for Barry Round in, in 2020? Well, I've retired, so I've, uh, I've got that down to a fine art now. It's not a bad spot to get old. Actually, my two kids were living up here, and... Uh, when I was even uh, living in Williamstown, and uh, I'd come up and visit about this time of the year, and it's 23, 24 degrees up here, and about 12 back in Melbourne. They said, Dad, why are you going back there? And then the finish, I thought, yeah, I think I could, I could live up here. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm retired and go for a walk on the beach every morning and have a swim. And uh, yeah, my, my partner's uh, a little bit younger than me, so she's got a cleaning business, so she Toddles off to work every morning, and uh, on the uh, on the house bitch, I make the bed, do the dishes, and uh, put do a, a load of washing, uh, uh, hang it out, all that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm very content, and uh, I still um, she subscribed to the Melbourne Herald Sun, so I uh, I get my uh, iPad out and read read about the local foot or the Melbourne footy news all the time, so it keeps me up to speed with that, and. Um, yeah, it's a pretty nice lifestyle up there. It's a sort of a shorts and t-shirt uh, existence, and that suits me very, very well. Uh, sounds like you've got it down to a fine art up there, Barry. And um, obviously, 
hope uh, in 2021 that everything gets back to normal and we can see you down here in Melbourne for Brownlow Week and enjoying all those luncheons. Yeah, my heart goes out to all my friends and the general public back in Melbourne. They're doing it very tough at the moment. We all understand that. And we, well, just count your blessings. I do as well. I'm living in a place that's reasonably okay, but you've still got to be careful. But um, yeah, Queensland, the home of football, it looks like we might get the Brownlow and might even get the grand final. So uh, yeah, who knows? But uh, let's hope that 2021 is a better year. And uh, yeah, just take care, everybody, and uh, stay safe. Enjoy your best. Let's get over this. Good on you, Barry. Thanks for your time, mate. Much appreciated. No worries. Pleasure. Thanks, Abes, mate. With all that done now, we'll go on to what we're looking forward to this week. I'll start off. I'm looking forward to seeing how Collingwood are going selection. Will they rest players? Will they bring people back in? I'm not necessarily looking forward to the game, like Fez pointed out. I think it will be dog shit. So that's just me this week. Dave, what are you looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, obviously Geelong Port on Friday night. But I think Gold Coast Richmond has the potential to be a, a really intriguing contest. And I'm also looking forward to seeing Matt Roll put on a belt around his pants. Oh, yeah, look terrible oh, yeah. around the belt. Yeah. <laughs> he is I mean, a 90-year-old bloke, man. He how good are the memes about him? <laughs> him holding that book and it's like, oh, Matt Rowell, uh, serving you a Wendy's. Oh, He's mate. a walking meme, Matt Rowe, this year. <laughs> fantastic. He'll be captain coach soon. Watch out, Stewie. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't go down the same path as Stewie. Stewie, Stewie will eat him if, uh, if, he thinks, <laughs> if he thinks he's going for his job. Um, I'm, what I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to Geelong Port, but in particular, what I'm looking forward to about Geelong Port now that I know who's umpiring that game is just having a look at the... The pipes on M. Durban <laughs> in between the big sticks. He's been hitting, uh, hitting the gym or potentially buffet. I'm not sure what it is up there, Durban. Uh, or you might have gone down the Twents path with the uh, extra small top. I don't know what you're rolling with, but just the pipes are looking big and the top is just tightening week by week, Durb. So Funny. make sure you have a look at that if you uh, tune in on Friday night. Just funny you mentioned that. that. Ooh, no, funny you mentioned ooh. that, Frank, because in my list I've got Dev's guts written here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon. Dev, which that, is it? I reckon the buffet's coming out absolute pasting. <laughs> Might have the XL pants on the way up soon. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm yeah. not sure if any. I'm not sure if any of our listeners uh, watch the goal umpires as much as we do, especially when Derv umpires. But late in the game, I love it from Derv. He had a sense of occasion. Late in the game, a big goal's been kicked. I'm not sure if it was excellent to hit the front or scores level. And you just see Derv pump the chest out and the, mate, the arms just swung back that quick, bang, and there was a bit of jolt in the end of him. This, the guns were ready to go, man. I was waiting for the, to blow out the top of him kind of action, but <laughs> it was it was absolutely superb from you, Derv. So I love it. Yeah! <laughs> He's got a big head after he's done his own podcast. He's had his own shows. <laughs> <laughs> podcast sensation. Now, I've got, there's, a few, a few, there's a few theories flying around. Um, Just put them to rest, Dave. Tell us what it is. There's no, there's no buffet. There's no room service here. I'm looking after myself. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I'm agile. I'm 24. I'm youthful. I'm ready to go. I'm feeling Single. good. Hello, Single. ladies. Single. Yeah. Hello, ladies. <laughs> this is your Tinder profile, dude. <laughs> nah, you buy it. Shit. <laughs> but hitting the gym I, I come to the stage I don't want to do Channel 7 games Channel 7 don't give me enough air time <laughs> I want the Foxtel games <laughs> Oh, as they do Siren, Siren Yeah
Do, do you have to wear something under your shirt for that? Like, um, talking to the a pillow. It's a mark. We have like a, a communication vest, so it looks like I have a um. Yeah, it makes you look a bit bigger than. They giving you the extra large one, are they? Yeah, I got the really <laughs> tight one actually. Real the, tight. When are you gonna be scheduled to wear the white umpire's kit? I reckon you will look Mickey <laughs> Mouse, Mister Whippy kind of service in that. That is a day I am certainly not looking forward to. That's gonna be <laughs> a very interesting evening. Well, I've got we- I've got one more uh, thing that I'm looking forward to, and it's watching Geelong's future ruckman run around against them this week. Laddams, get him to the cattery. That's all I can say. <laughs> Where Kruger? Kruger's a Kruger. ruckman. Kruger can't even get in the side, mate. <laughs> what has he done, mate? Uh, Huddy, looking forward to... I'm looking forward to two things. Uh, I actually think it's an underrated game. I think Freire Carlton will be a good close contest. Both sides play a reasonable, good brand footy to watch. And obviously, Geelong Port's the blockbuster, but there's whispers... The cock is back this week. Nikolai Cockatoo. Uh, hopefully, he gets his way back into the hoops. That was he was forecast to play against them before the St Kilda game. Obviously, it was a very good outing showing by the Cats. But hopefully, we see the cock back in. String, string, string. <laughs> Sniper from level three. He might as well get his legs amputated if he doesn't know the string. We'll go on to our next segment. Get around me slash I was wrong. I'll come out and start us off first. I was wrong. I said Adelaide, I reckon they get up and they looked all right for the first time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't just say Adelaide will get up. You said Adelaide by four goals, mate. Mm. Yes. 75 point turnaround on that statement, my friend. Yes. And you can also say you're wrong, Ferry, because Melbourne won by more than 24 points. What I mate. Uh... That's that's just me saying I'm wrong and also pointing other people out. So I'll put my hand up. I'm, I'll happily say I was wrong there. I got Please. one a little bit wrong. Well, I did. It was wrong. Can't, can't. I said danger to kick three plus a bloke. Again, this was against North. Should have kicked six, but he's just a retard and kept sliding on the ground, dropping marks, missing set shots. So should have kicked a bag. As someone, I can't remember who uh, it was. It was one of the key forwards. <laughs> One of the key forwards on Fox footy, I think it was either Rewald or Brown, said he will become a very good forward once he learns some craft. Because at the moment, he's just trying to use his pace and his strength, but he doesn't really have a lot of craft up there. But with Geelong's midfield, if he can spend some more time down there and learn a bit, it can be very dangerous. But I got that one wrong. Wiz, Wiz, while you are apologising, mate, you also said the Caps were going a bit too top-heavy against St Kilda. Do you want to uh, retract that? Uh, I was concerned about that, but uh, yeah, I'll, especially with Ryder laid out, I thought that might have tipped the balance, but they can't be too top heavy when St Kilda just generally can't get the ball. First two minutes, 24 uncontested marks or something ridiculous. They just could not get it. Very well coached by Chris Scott. I've got to, uh, don't normally say that, but well done. Let's see if it stands up in finals though. That's all. Let's see. Prelims. Prelims. I've got a, uh, I've got a quick get around me. Uh, if you cast your mind back a few weeks ago, uh, before Carlton played St Kilda, I mentioned Sam Doherty just getting a bit of a free run around the back line and just racking up the touches fun. Rats was clearly tuning into that episode because that week he decided to chuck Jaron Geary on Sam Doherty and shut him out of the game. And every week since then, coaches have clearly gone, where's Rats got that idea from? Tuned into that episode of Post Game Spray <laughs> and gone... We need to listen to this bloke and we're tagging Sammy Doherty because ever since that episode, he's been tagged and just has lacked the usual influence. So just a quick get around me and uh, thanks. Shout out to the coaches for listening to my feedback. 
Get around <laughs> Old uh, Old Geary returned to Earth with a thud this week after Tommy Stewart gave him a genuine bath. So, uh, Gears, mate, maybe find yourself a spot on the side that you're captaining. <laughs> might be worth doing. Uh, obviously, uh, call about the Saints game styles. Jeez, uh, elite call in hindsight. Uh, Get around <laughs> The D's to uh, give Adelaide a touch-up. She's nailed that. Jeez, Paddy got that wrong. Get around I uh, also want to go in Paddy's Jason Castagna love after mentioned earlier, but five touches. He got two of them late. So for 98% of the game, three touches, zero shots on goal, two tackles, mate. One of the worst performances of any player in the comp uh, this year. So also just want to go in while I'm going in on Farley. Uh, Isaac Rankin, obviously shit kick late in the game last night, but single-handedly kept them in it against St Kilda with last quarter goals, looking like the best small forward prospect in the game. And somehow, you're hating on him, mate. Pull your... I'm not, I, he's a great player. I'm far off that, but I just don't yeah. like how... how uh, Derek Brewery picked up on it as well. I think uh, Kent from St Kilda got a mark taken against him the last quarter when they versus Saints. And Rankin's gone up to him, wasn't even in the market, kind of just give him a bit of a pat on the head, and he missed the bloke. So I just think, needs to rein it in a little bit, you know, just get a couple of games under your belt. Like, you've got, you got to be a good player, so don't worry about that now. Just just let the ball do the talking, mate. Just, that's all it is. That's all I'm saying. Anyone else? Derv, we touched on you with Adelaide and Knicks. Uh, yeah, you I had a quick one that was actually wrong, Paddy. Um... You know, I said Adelaide Melbourne was going to be game of the year. Um, <laughs> look, I'll leave that open to the viewer interpretation in regards to how facetious I was about it. But you know, on on the on the uh, precipice of it, I was wrong. So, tip to me. Oh, what a big word there, Dev. I know facetious. I'm, I'm not smart enough to know what any of those mean. So, uh, we'll go on to our. Is anyone else getting around themselves? Sorry, or saying they're wrong? No. Okay. Go on to they're our wrong. our. Been wrong. <laughs> we'll go on to our weekly sprays. We love it. But I can't fucking bear losing a game like that! Fez, please kick us off. Yeah, so uh, just just a quick one just to warm us up. Captain Jake Melksham. That is an embarrassment that those two words are going... Well, those three words are going together. An absolute embarrassment. The worst talented... Now, Nick Maxwell was bad, but listen, I didn't mind him as an intercepting defender. Richard Vandenberg, the only other player in that sort of upper echelon of captain spastics. So, Jake joined an elite, joined an elite club there. Now, I also want to dive into the whole Mabiachol saga. Oh, I'll go after you, Fez, with this. We we obviously, there's a member in this podcast that does yeah. very similar sort of uh, things to what happened to Marbia. This is a class action against Wiz. We're exposing him here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's if all been a, If you've been offended, please let us know. We're happy to help. In the criminal justice system, sexually based offences are considered especially heinous. In New York City... The dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. It's, uh, it's just, you know, it's just a bit of, it's, you know, when they say it's boys being boys, like it's a bad thing, it's not. It's just the boys being boys. Hugh Remington, virgin. Never played, <laughs> never played a team sport in his life. Wouldn't know what it's like to have the boys get around him. 
Don't think the journos are patting each other and giving around each other. No. Hugh has no idea what's going on. Liz Ellis. Liz Ellis. Don't tell me she hasn't got her m just licking, licked in the showers fucking back, <laughs> back, in, back in the swift stays, mate. Give me a spell, Liz. You are taking the piss. Don't tell me there's not a bit going on back there. I see how close you and Kath Cox are on the Channel 9 fucking <laughs> super netball fucking segments. So just pop down there. Taylor Harris. Oh, let's get into <laughs> women's football, shall we? What about Collingwood's captain seducing their first round 18-year-old draft pick, Taylor? How about you fucking have a look in your own backyard and good luck telling me you haven't had it. your bloody <laughs> with in the change rooms, mate. You women's football is on a whole nother level, mate. Half the sides <laughs> each other out in the showers, Taylor. And you're trying to tell us that the boys can't have a little bum pat. Give us a spell. You know, I don't agree with Sam Newman much these days, but I, I think he summed this up particularly well. Just means the lads in questions get on extremely well with one another. And that's all it is. They get on extremely well with one another. Another. If you're concerned about the look of the game, yes, no worries. Keep it off camera. Happy with that. Boys, don't do it when the camera's on you during the song. But if you're trying to get the cock grab and the bum slap out of football clubs or out of sporting teams, shut the fuck up. The whole lot of you. Shut up, bitch. Thank you. I'll go now. Good luck editing all that, Paddy. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Oh god, I'm still in tears. <laughs> I'm, I've got a couple, and my one of one was on Taylor Harris. Like, love, I just, I know you're a, like, you play an individual sport, like MMA fighter or boxer or whatever the hell you were. But like Fez said, like, happens to everyone. And she, if she think, if she thinks she can kick the shit out of me, I might sound behind the walls of the people that don't me don't know me behind the she walls can definitely of, keep the shit out of, you. of this voice i'm actually not a 19 year old that's a little bit tubby trying to grow a mullet that drives in <laughs> a mum's car i'm a six foot five chiseled blonde hair blue eyes that rides a harley davidson so if you see someone in the street that you reckon looks like me don't try and fight him mate uh i'll, I'll go on she just play yourself then in the end i'll, I'll get a bit no, lost yeah. there <laughs> <laughs> my next still my not next his one, worst one my next one. No, no one. No one. No one knows. No one knows. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, our next. My next little. Clip, there's been a little, little bit of our talk during the week. Obviously, Carl Ward copying uh, death threats, which is not on and abuse of players. But how about Mitchie Robertson coming out during the week and saying, "I don't care if they don't get your multi up. This abuse isn't cops." I th how about him coming out and thinking that he's done nothing wrong in his life, Mitchie Robinson? He would have been the loosest unit of all time, I reckon. But clearly now he's loved up and he's just gone back and doesn't wear the pants in his relationship. I won't go down the path of what Dervis said uh, previously, but he just doesn't what? wear the pants. Uh, uh, also, just on Mitch Robinson, who, who is... I want to spray whoever's putting Mitch Robinson in their multis because they know nothing about footy. The boy is allergic to the Sheeran at the moment. <laughs> uh, my next... Little clip goes out to a very unlocked figure at the moment. So obviously Collingwood had a bit of the racial saga uh, with Harry O'Brien. He's clearly just run out of cash post footy. He comes out during the week saying I allowed Scott Parenby call me chimp, but then comes out two months earlier. No, oh, they're calling me chimp. They're racist. It's probably not on in general, but you can't come out and say, oh, it's fine now. Like this mate, shut up and just piss off quietly. And lastly, 
How, I'm with you with Harry Higgins. Obviously, and you can't go after Bambi. It, you lose all credibility when you go after Pendles. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, this this one it, it really hurts. It really hurts me, but not it hurts me to talk about it. So two weeks ago, eight days, whenever the Swans played uh, Collingwood. There was one specific umpire. We gave Dean Margetts, I think that's what his name is, a spray last week. But the people that don't know Alani, I don't even know her last name. She's Kuftis. Kuftis. She's known as the uh, female umpire. I just, I oh, don't have the energy. You just shit love. Like, you're just not good at your job. Every marking contest, you see her pay a free kick and like you've great strides for women in football. You've, like, you've got on the field. Good on you. It's, it's a great achievement, but too bad you just shit. So I think you need some a very grave assessment and just uh, remember where you're at and just maybe quit. That's all I have, to be honest. Anyone else spraying? No, I'm not following either of those. I'm not good. Following. All good. Derv, no one off the spray scene again? No, I'm having a week off, thanks. Having a week off? I like it. Okay, let's go into our next thing, our list. Top three Brownlow, worst Brownlow medalists of all time normally are... Uh, the decorated accolade. Uh, we talk about how good they are, but let's talk about how shit some of them are. Obviously, Barry Round being our first guest to Brownlow medalist. Frank, please kick us off. Yeah, I'm going to take us all the way back to 1930 to a bloke called Stan Judkins, who finished hey. in a th- finished in a three-way tie on that. Uh, six months. Oh, man, lives in Judkins Avenue, named after Stan Judkins, man. <laughs> oh, there you go. But anyway, Stan Judkins tied three-way with Harry Collier and Alan Hopkins. Now, Harry Collier was a... Collingwood team with a century player, four flags, two best and fairest, two-time premiership captain. Alan oh, Hopkins, nice. best and fairest captain, played for Victoria 17 times. So those two blokes, reasonable careers, good footballers. Old Stan, you know what he did? He's the only Brownlow medalist in history to be dropped. Fucking get him off! In the season, he won the Brownlow medal. So Stan, uh. we're <laughs> heading. That's worst Brownlow medalist of all time. He's been dropped in the season he won the Brownlow, so that's uh, that great research, Frank. Frank. That that's is me, a good so point, mate. There you go. Dave, just sure. sums up how spasticated your fucking industry is, mate. Oh, in the 1930s. <laughs> hey, that's a great period. Improved for, since. Great period for Collingwood. Since then. 20s and 30s are where it counts, guys. Collingwood five flags, I think, in that period. Uh, Fez, what do you reckon? Uh, the who do you reckon the worst Brownlow medals? Well, 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 you can't go anywhere in this without starting with Shane Wofel. And just <laughs> anyone that earns the nickname Shane Wofel should not be having a Brownlow sitting around their neck at home. Yes, listen, in two thousand, played reasonable football, but oh boy, it was be bad. Apart from that, no good. But what I really want to get into is. Yes, there's some big names here, but I'm going to go with one. Jimmy Bartell, Adam Cooney, Chris Judd, and Dane Swan. Anyone that won a Brownlow medal, oh, also want to go in on Sam Mitchell and Trent Gottschen. Anyone that won a Brownlow medal between 2007 and 2014, <laughs> whose name wasn't Gary Ablett, has stolen it. Has genuinely stolen it. So you're so, saying that Swan and Judd are not as good as Tom Mitchell, mate, who has had one good season. No, I'm not interested in that. Into his criteria, Patrick. No, I don't give a fuck. Bag Swanee or Basher? 
anyone you wave a wet paper not, bag, Farley. Not, not named Gary Ablett Jr. in those years should not have won a Brownlow medal, which automatically places them somewhere in the list of unworthy brown medal brown low medals. So just want to go in on them and uh they're the they're the worst uh, brown low medals of all time. Mate. Yeah, Patty, um, Cooney was one for me. Uh, Cooney, just because not only of his football, uh, you know, football pedigree, but, uh, you know, as a few of us know, with our local basketball team, Gilligan's, you know, Cooney was a, you know, real Richie Vandenberg when it came to Gilligan's <laughs> that Wednesday night basketball. And just really, it's the teeth, you know, really scattering after when I see him. So he's on my list. Um, and then one from... I think 1985, Brad Hardy won the Brownlow, and uh, yeah, good old Brad's on my uh, on my good list. Not on, Whizzle. Yeah, I've uh, obviously Woden and Cooney were also right up there for me. Um, but there's another one, and this bloke was a reasonably good player. So, um, but I just think in 1993, Gavin Wanganeen out of the back pocket um, wasn't quite. The best player that year. So he polled. Yeah, I'm just lost me uh, lost me spot I think, here. I think he polled eight and votes, which is one of the lowest. Yes, and you've got two very, very, very good, or four very good players filling the second to fifth. So Hocking and Williams tied on 17, one vote behind, and then Dunstan Carey, another vote behind. So just to go through some of the stats from that year. So Wanganeen has, uh, where are we here? Wanganeen has averaged. Less than 20 touches. He's, he's had one game over 30. He's kicked four goals for the year. He's got three Brownlow medal votes in games where he's had 14 touches and 15 touches. Just give me a spell umps. And Buddha has only played 18 games and has run rings around him. And in games where he's had 29 and kicked two in wins, he's not polling. In, in other games, he's kicked, had 29 and kicked three. He's got one vote. I just think Wanganeen pipping him by a vote that year. And you've got Williams, who was an absolute jet. Dunstall kicked well over 100, and Carey was the goat of the 90s. So I just think 1993, Wanganeen, very lucky. Very, very lucky. I'll finish this off. Uh, I've got a couple, like I think the three obvious ones, Bartel, Danger, uh, Gary Wood Senior, Art Junior, oh shit. Yeah! I'm just kidding. Just thought I'd wrap up the Geelong supporters there pretty quick. They are... Move pretty quickly there. But I, I've gone a bit different with mine. Mine's not just their playing ability. Mine's bloke status. Uh, Career-wise, rather than just their uh, single year, they played well. Obviously, they had had a good year. Firstly, bloke status, Adam Goods lost it all towards the end of his career and post-footy. Uh, like we said, Shane Roe Woeful. Another one, this is a bloke status. I actually go with Roe Woeful as a bloke. Nah, he's just also shit. So like, that's, <laughs> that's a part of the criteria. He goes like 10 out of 10 for shit. And then uh, another one I had, I don't know much about him, but I looked up his stats. He averaged 20 touches throughout his career, which isn't a lot. But Paul Kelly uh, played for the Swans. Ooh, uh, good player, Paul Kelly. Yeah, I didn't know mm. much about him. Uh, this, in my, in my words, just ruling the name Paul Kelly, only one good thing, how to make gravy from that name. <laughs> He's a much-loved Sydney captain. Very hard at it. Very good player, Paul Ooh, Kelly. Very good player. Uh, well, this can he tell us how to make gravy? Don't think so. Who's gonna make the gravy? Now? <laughs> uh, 
And once again, we talked to I talked about him. Louis we should before. get Paul Kelly on to ask him if he can make gravy. I'm sure he's never had that question in his life. <laughs> How many dollops of tomato sauce do you reckon he has there? Uh, we'll go on. And then uh, Trent Cochran uh, is one of them. I know he had a great season. He was young and up and coming. Not saying he's a bad player at all. But And then uh, Tom Mitchell, 100%. Uh, handballs it. Muscles give Clinton Jones one. Handballs it so many times. And that's all. Jones. <laughs> that's the only uh, list for me. So that's about it. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for, guys. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's Post Game Spray. Follow, like, subscribe on all our social medias at Post Game Spray on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you very much. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.